Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What is going on, my friends? Coach Luca back with the Vigor Life Podcast. I, if you guys have seen a video here, you, see, you look like I'm in a weird room about to do something crazy. Uh, while, while Mike on the other <laughs> side, look at that crisp and cleanness in the background. But I'm so excited. I, I can't believe it's taking this long, but we are here, uh, I, you know, to get Mike, Mike, Dr. Mike Russell on the podcast. Uh, it's been a long time coming and we're going to rip and riff on a lot of different things. Who knows where this will go? But first of all, just like we were talking about before we got started, um, I wanted to, you know, have you introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit, because I tell people all the time, Mike is, is genius. Mike is phenomenal what he does. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot about nutrition today, nutrition, nutrition coaching, and dive down that rabbit hole. Uh, and not enough people know about him. So if you don't know about him, you should know about him. But I was like, listen, I need you, I need you to drop, drop the paragraphs. Uh, but <laughs> just let us know a little bit about, you know, what, here's the thing, your background, but also what you're doing right now, because you're consulting also a lot of uh, awesome companies and, and doing a lot of great stuff in the world. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the intro. I appreciate being on here. Um, so let me give kind of like my my brief background. Uh, so as you mentioned, I have uh, I'm a doctor, not a real doctor. Got my PhD in nutrition, but um, I actually I did go to medical school for for about a year before I left to go to graduate school. But um, you know, I think I got into probably nutrition the way that most coaches get into strength conditioning. Like I was an athlete, I loved it. Um, I blew up my knee playing lacrosse picked up a muscle magazine the day before I had surgery and the rest, <laughs> the rest was history. Um, but then I uh, so went to college, got a degree in biochemistry. Uh, so I've always kind of been a science nerd and then went straight to medical school. I did what I would consider the, the not fun part of medical school. So did all the classwork and then was like, the medicine's not really kind of my jam. Left, decided to go to graduate school, uh, ran a biochemistry lab for about a year then went to, to Penn State to graduate school. I studied uh, cardiovascular disease nutrition and kind of cardiometabolic nutrition. We ran clinical trials. Um, and then from there, I was, I was closing in on 30 and I've been in school my whole life. And usually when you leave with your PhD in nutrition, it's like you go teach or you go do food industry. Mm. And I kind of didn't want to do either. And I figured I've been in school for so long, I'm just going to do what I want to do. So uh, I started writing and I'd been writing ever since I'd been in medical school, freelance writing. And then I started coaching. I met um, and speaking and did, started kind of my career as a professional speaker. And then I met Joe Dowdell, who used to run Peak Performance in New yep. York City. And he emailed me one day and he was like, hey, you don't know who I am. I run this gym in New York. I'd love you to come because he wanted to create a, a mobile application for fitness and nutrition and he needed a, a nutrition person. So I was like, all right, I got my car, drove six hours to New York City, like to meet this guy that I'd never met. And uh, we really hit it off. And then the app never really came to be, but you know, we became good friends. He was like, how about you come run the nutrition here at Peak? So I used to drive into the city a couple times a month, meet clients, help develop their nutrition program. And that's really when I got into, you know, that's really, really where I started really getting into coaching and understanding the, the importance of like that, the the art of the consultation and the art of coaching, because, you know, I was like a, I was a bodybuilder as a kid. And then we ran controlled feeding studies at Penn state, which basically means people weigh and measure your food. You show up in the morning, you get a cooler, 
you leave, you come back the next day, you get another cooler of food and you just eat whatever in the cooler. Very real. And yeah, well, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it has, it's like, so the, everything has its own, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's purpose. So for that, that's basically how you get cause and effect in nutrition. Like if we feed them this and we measure their blood, like we know what the, you know, what's driving it. Cause it's so exact. The next phase is then, you know, more free living and stuff, but from going bodybuilding and, you know, and kind of like full on sports nutrition to then controlled feeding, like I had a very skewed view of what it would take to, mm. you know, to get people to change their behaviors. Cause you could tell a bodybuilder like, all right, like it's, it's tilapia and broccoli, right? And like we'll waft some olive oil over it every day for 12 weeks, six times a day and they would do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm there and I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in Manhattan and I'm dealing with this just, it's super eclectic clientele professional athletes, finance, models, executives, you know, just like regular old people. Um, and, and so everybody had like different ideas and views and they had different things they wanted to do. Nobody in New York City cooks. And so it was just, it was like all this stuff that I was like, man, I gotta, it became less about me and what I needed to know from a biochemistry standpoint to more about like, how do I need to figure out what's the most important thing I could manipulate with this individual? And then how do I get them to do it? And then, and so that was, that really, I think, set me on my kind of the journey of, of like how I then started framing nutrition because, you know, I think it was all these things that we used to think about, you know, as, even as a writer, like, so I wrote for T Nation for years, right? And T Nation, like, it's all about that minutia because it's people want to tweak these little variables, right? But then you go and you're applying it to somebody who's like, trains three times a week for 45 minutes you know and those little variables don't matter as much um and then they're lying to you 90 percent of the time anyway just because they're not comfortable with their bad decisions right that was the other i used to joke with my wife like i would do these like hour-long initial consultations and it was like the first 55 minutes were just bs and I, i'd like get the truth in the last five you know everybody shows up to these meetings like you know, maybe you could help me. I eat really good. I feel like I'm doing everything right. And it's like that for 55 minutes. And then just as they're about to leave, they're like, you know, sometimes I, I, I often, and then they start really telling me what's going on. And then, so I could tell as I got like, as I honed kind of that skill as a coach, it would then take me, it wouldn't take me 55 minutes to get the truth. You know, like it was 30 and it was 20, you know, like, as you know, like you got to build that rapport and um, and then I started working with this. Um, so then I branched out and started doing some work in Silicon Valley with companies there. And I was working with their executives. So companies would hire me to come in and help essentially like quarterback the wellness of their, of their executives. And I would sit down and do was like nutrition speed dating and where I would go to like wherever their office was. And I'd sit there for like four hours and every 20 minutes, a new person would come in. And I would just be able to sit down and they would tell me whatever. And I would try to solve their problems and, and give them some action steps. And so I had to be get like really good at, you know, kind of building rapport, trying to get the story, trying to figure out what's that nugget that we need to change. And then, cause you know, we only had 20 minutes with them. So, um, you know, it's been a long journey from a, like this coaching perspective of trying to figure out what exactly it is that the person needs, not necessarily what I want to put on them, from like my knowledge and uh, you know, and then kind of with some of the other work that I've done, it's, it's really paralleled because I do some other work with uh, some commodity groups on developing research programs and then how do they market 
the results of those research programs. And it's the same thing. Like, how do we take this information and make it usable to people? Or how do we make it relevant? Or who are the people that it's even relevant to? And um, so that, you know, kind of that art of coaching, I think, has is, is really been something that, that has been a thread all along that I've kind of been committed to throughout the whole process. I love that you brought that up because, um, it, you know, I, I always love, like, for instance, examples, right? I, I remember this, I think it's probably Mike Robertson's where you're bringing up the, the difference of if all you did was help somebody eat, you know, 30, 40 grams of protein per meal and nothing else. And then on average, they would eat 400 calories less, less per day, right? Now that data, right, is like, yes. And I, and I think that story helps people go like, okay, that's how important it is, right? How do you then take that, you know, to, to Susie or to Jack and be able to help them do that in a way where it becomes sustainable? And that, you know, that's kind of like the, the thing I wanted to dig in because you brought up the art of coaching. I'm like, perfect. Like, I think we're on the same page here. You know, if you had to distill, and like, you know, for, for, for anybody that's listening, we didn't like prep for this before. So I'm throwing Mike on the spot. <laughs> well, like if you have to distill some principles, you know, when it comes to the art of coaching, I mean, I think you, you brought one up certainly in like building rapport, which I think is absolutely kind of foundational. Um, but, you know, if you zoomed out and obviously you can take your time and riff on this, but you know, what are some principles when it comes to the art of coaching that you found, you know, cause you've obviously done a lot of it and you've, you've been in a lot of different sectors um, when with a lot of different people, the things that are important. So for somebody that's one, um, a coach listening, you know, or for somebody that's just trying to change their nutrition, like what are some principles that have stood the test of time always will, uh, and maybe, you know, some of them we can kind of dig a little bit deeper in, but what do you think are some of those things that are key? You totally put me on the spot. Um, so I think one of the things from a coaching standpoint, and this actually was reiterated to me at the end of last week with some new clients that I've been working with is it's important to understand. So we have a view, I think, as a coach of where we want to get someone, you know, like we recognize where they are, we recognize where we want to get them. But I think it's really important. And, and what we usually don't do is recognize where that person sees themselves and then where they're trying to go, you know, because in our minds, you know, for me and like nutrition, like I could be talking to somebody about their diet and maybe they've made changes before they've come and they've seen me. Right. And they think they're doing really good. And I'm looking at what they're doing and thinking like, this is, oh, this is good. Exactly. And if I come to them and I'm like, all right, we got to do all that, you know, like they're just going to be like, Whoa, what is going on? You know, it, because so much of it is like motivation and how do you get them to keep going the next day? And how do you get them to wake up and say, yes, I'm going to eat like this nutritious breakfast, not fruit loops. Right. And if, and so it's really important because I had these two separate clients and one of them was like, you could tell them to like jump through a, a wall, right? And then eat raw kale off the ground and they're like, do it, right? And then this other group, this other client that I had a very similar situation and it was much more baby steps, you know? And it was trying to figure out, and I caught myself too, I, like it was last week and I literally caught myself because I could tell they were starting to get a little discouraged in how I was trying to motivate them to take the next steps. And I had to catch myself and say, I'm not recognizing exactly where this person views themselves. Like they're viewing themselves as what they've done is they've done a really good job and it's just taken a lot to go from step A to C. Then they're not gonna jump to F right away. That's such a great point. Now, how, like, here's the thing. How do you, cause there's two things I wanted to kind of follow up on. One, that's a, that's a great, great point. Cause 
you you just don't think about that, right? You're just looking at you know your map and going like, this is where they're at, this is where they want to go, this is what they need to do. But maybe they made some. It was a lot of work for them to make the changes that they've made, and you've just discounted it, like ah, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So how do you know? One is how do you find it out, and number two is. I do agree on this point that some people need a lot more strategic one thing at a time, um, you know, and I hate saying small, just strategic, but there's other people that actually need more to not be, would be bored by that. And you see a lot of this. So I, I, I follow up on that. Like, number one, how do you kind of discover, um, you know, where they feel they're at so that you mm -hmm. can kind of coach them in a way that doesn't just, uh, you know, I, I guess, doesn't have any empathy for the work that they've done and where they're at. You know, maybe some questions to ask, what are some things to look for? And the, the second part is like, you know, how do you recognize who should be, you know, taking a little bit more like smaller step and who should be, you know, pushed a little bit more, whether it's, you know, we could have a conversation. We do this all the time. Whereas should they be doing macros and calories? You know, should they be doing more of a habit-based approach? Uh, mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen people that like do so well on a little bit more, dialed in and and, and kind of less boundaries and some people that need you know more boundaries yeah so i think first thing is it sounds crazy but like you really got to listen to them you know like i think you really got to listen to them and and you know lately it's been a little more difficult because it's more phone um now a lot of the coaching that i do is distance but i'll always and this will sound crazy but i'll literally fly across the country to meet a client face to face like just because I, th the, I think the power of just meeting someone is, is yeah. really, nutrition's like, nutrition is very personal. And, mm -hmm. you know, like people share with me very private, personal things, you know, because like, we eat for a lot of reasons other than calories. And so I think that personal rapport is different. So on the phone, it's a little more difficult, but you really got to listen to how they're responding to your questions. And in the follow-up sessions, things that you've talked about, like how have they gone and executed on them? Like those are, those are two important things. And the other thing that I say is I ask a lot of questions about what they've done previously. And it throws some people off because sometimes people are like, look, I came to hear what you want me to do, not, you know, what I've done before. But I, for me, I ask a lot of questions like from a weight loss perspective, right? Like basically everyone's lost weight before. Like no one, like rarely do I meet someone. They're like, hey, it's the first time I've ever lost weight. Like, I'd like to give this a go. Maybe you could help, right? Um, and so I ask a lot of questions, you know, about why, you know, what's worked in the past? Like, why did it stop working? What are things that you've been doing now that used to work, but aren't now? And as a result, that's why we're talking. And so trying to get, because that gives me a good background on their skill set nutritionally, kind of what their philosophy is nutritionally. You know, people just generally will think about things in certain ways. And for me, being able to understand their previous methods lets me know how they think about things because if somebody comes in and equates lots of aerobic exercise and no carbs to weight loss i can't come in and be like look we're doing this it's 40 percent calories from carbohydrates and you know trust me it works you know because it's going to be such a disconnect from from that um so i think i i end up asking lots of questions and, and a lot of our initial discussions focused around what happened previously so that we excuse me so that i can better understand how they're thinking about nutrition and then how I can essentially take what has worked for them in the past, make it more reasonable and science-based and then transition them to what I think is a more optimal approach. Um, is, is kind of the, uh, I mean, you made so many great points, but so much of 
nutrition. And I, I think even if it's personally, if it's personally, it becomes an awareness thing. But if it's coaching, it's like really discovering, you know, what this person's done, where they've been, how they think, because you, you can't just X's and O's won't work if you create this massive gap between, you know, even like I said, competence, right? Like uh, they're like, hey, I, you know, I've started making some eggs in the morning, right? And you're like, all right, great. Well, now I need you to do, 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 do. you know, it's just like, holy shit. Maybe they, <laughs> yeah. they won't say it right because you're the expert but uh i've 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 found this and like let me know if you found this too is that people you know if they go to the expert and you go like here's what i think you should do you know you, you jump into that real quick oh okay here's what's going on here's what i think you should do and they're like okay the expert's telling me this so that's what i should do but then they found you know but of course it might be so challenging and then they start failing and feel like it's their fault again and it becomes this mm -hmm. cycle man, see, it's, it's me. Like, I can't, I can't do this because I constantly keep failing on this diet and on this. And now this guy told me I got to do this and I can't do it. And it's just mm -hmm. forcing these, um, I, which I think is the mindset of it, right? It's like, this just isn't for me or I, there's something wrong with me. I don't know how, you know, I'm not motivated, but really it can become a, an issue with the coaching side of things where you can bury them a little bit deeper in the hole. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but I, I'm big on this, right? Because we are there to help them move forward. And sometimes unknowingly, if you don't know enough about nutrition, nutrition coaching, you can, you know, kind of lead them further down that kind of rabbit hole of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy of failure, right? Which, yeah. which is dangerous, right? And, no, um, totally. Okay. No, and I was going to say on, on that side of things, right? Like, and I mean, there, there's some stuff that I do. I would love to, to hear what are... Uh, the things that you look for you know how like you're reading between the lines but reading between the lines on like at what point in time you know do you go a little bit more aggressive at what point in time even like mindset wise where, where that person is like yeah yeah i'm a little bit more advanced like i can do this you know or a person to go slower but not make them feel like they're you know they suck oh i, I gotta go slow oh i, I only gotta mm -hmm. do this. right how like how do you kind of juggle those things so i think it's important I end up generally making people go slower than they think they would want to initially, but then it's a function of, you know, so we'll have like the initial figure out what's going on session, right. Where I can kind of do that data. And then I generally, this kind of throws people off, but I try not to give a lot of recommendations like when we first talk, because like, I'm a big believer in this might sound weird. Like I'm a big believer in your subconscious. And so I'll have the conversation with a client and I will take big notes and then I need to just walk away from it like mentally and just kind of let it marinate. And then a day or so later, I can come back and have just more cohesive thoughts on exactly what that person should do. And I, I liken it to, I just, my subconscious needs to work on it while I work on other stuff. And you know, there's neuroscience research showing that like, when you come to an impasse on problem solving, that taking your brain and focusing on something else allows the subconscious part of your brain to solve that problem. And I take that approach with clients all the time. And so I rarely give nutritional recommendations in that initial session as much of like, I need to think about what's our best path forward. Um, but what yeah, I'll, what that's I'll- a very powerful point. I'm, 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 I gotta interrupt you on that one because I, I haven't heard that a lot, but I think it's a great point because too many times I think, I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot better at it as far as doing what you're doing, but instantly what do you want to do as a coach right you want, ah. to, you want to solve the problem you're like oh do this boom 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 like, yeah. here. oh let's go yes. right and, and yes. 
giving it space. And I think that, you know, maybe, and how do, like, for instance, how do, who, how do clients respond to that? I'm, I'm really interested, you know, how do clients yeah. respond? Like, hold up, are you not going to tell me what to do today? So what I'll usually do is, you know, like you kind of allude to this, like after you do it long enough, you, you kind of understand what are the big things that we need to, that need to be worked on. But for me, it's like, how are we figuring out these nuances in that person's life that are going to allow them to, to make that change now? So I'll usually say, hey, you know, what I think we need to do is going to be around this, this, and this. But I need to, you know, I need to look at my notes and really come up with a plan for how it's going to work with you. And I usually don't get a lot of resistance when it's worded that way, because I'm kind of, I'm giving them, this, this is where my head's at. And I feel comfortable telling them that, but then being able to sit down and say, well, here are those specifics. And then there's oftentimes, you know, I'm going to need more information from them. And that's another, you know, that's another piece that I'll use. Like, you know, based on this conversation, I need to know X, Y, Z, send me that. And then that also gives me the time and the space to be able to, to kind of, you know, work the nutritional magic. Yeah. I love that, man. That's, that's a very, very, very good point. And I would say that in, in every coaching realm, hold up note taken uh, <laughs> and how you know so this was the, the other thing that i wanted to kind of reel into is you know we kind of know obviously we, we want people to have agency we want people to build confidence by making decisions how much of you know do you do this with every client where you give them choices uh and options you know in in which scenario you may you not give somebody an option so you know whether it's like, hey, listen, you know, here's a couple of things that we can do here that I see you be, being successful with, you know, and it might be like, let's just work on changing your breakfast, or it's like, let's add protein to every meal. Like, you know, which one of these sounds like you're most confident about doing, right? Do, do you do a lot of that? And in which scenario would you not give them choice? So I think it depends on how I'm working with the client. So I actually have this whole, this segment of clients where it's kind of weird in that I have this group where they have people preparing food for them. So this would be like at their office because their office has a kitchen staff or they have a private chef themselves. And the plan is you tell me all the foods you like, the meals are gonna show up in front of you perfect. You just eat it, right? And, and I've actually found what's interesting is there's a, there's a fair amount of people who don't like that because there's no choice right? Like they'll ask for it. Like, yes, I want a chef to weigh measure my food, put it in front of me. Yes. But then they don't like it. Like I literally had a client say, look, I don't want to do this anymore. Like if I want a donut, like I just want to be able to go have one. Right. <laughs> and, um, but you know, but with more like regular versions and even within that, actually, I will say like, I work, I always find places to do choices, you know, because I'll say, you know, I'm thinking of this other client, like he's really good during the week. And he wants to kind of maintain, I would say like a, a lower body weight than what would be kind of normal for where his body wants to settle. But he also likes doing stuff on the weekends. And so we kind of came to this compromise of, he understands the principles we follow on the weekends. And the, you know, he has someone prepare his food during the week and it gives him choice and structure and it works out really well. Um, combined with the additional accountability of us talking every two weeks, like when that goes away, like the gloves go off. It's actually really interesting. So that additional accountability is really important. Um, what I'll do like on a choice perspective is I'm really not big on added sugars. And so I was, if there's like an area where I don't give people choices, like I come down pretty hard on that stuff 
just because I think it's a waste of calories. It's not good for your health and it just sets up bad behaviors. So I really kind of come hard on the added sugar stuff, but otherwise, you know, and also I would say I generally push clients to eat. I don't, unless someone really wants to, I don't do fasting or intermittent fasting. Um, I would really push people to eat, you know, I'm glad you brought this up. Ah, this is just good. This is good. Uh, I mean, I, I did fasting for about three years and not, not because it was like this, I'm going to do, like, I just prefer getting up, hitting the ground running, caffeine, you know, my first meals at, I don't know, like 12 or one. No, put it this way. And I, I understand all the science that's been taught about it and like, what's true, what's not true, but more of a lifestyle thing. But I, I, yep. I would like to, and a lot of people ask about IF, right? And so th- th- I want to dig in on this. Why do you feel that's a thing that you don't really recommend that much? Well, I think that the internet sells, the internet undersells the amount of self-control you actually need Mm. to be successful with fasting, right? And I have found historically, people make the worst food decisions at dinner, right? When they're coming home from work, they're stressed. It's probably been the longest time since they've eaten Mm. and they make the worst food decisions right there. And then intermittent fasting sets you up to kind of be in that same spot again on a consistent basis. And so I just think fine for most people, they're just not, it doesn't jive well with what they're able to handle from like a mental state with their food. And there's not really an advantage to it over if we could just restrict calories. Yeah. You know, and like, but I will say like, I totally, when you're saying it was more of a lifestyle thing, and I would also put you at like the black belt level on nutrition and behavior. Um, and I have a client who worked with like years, like probably she's trying to think how long we worked together, like six years, right? And just recently he wanted to shift and start doing fasting. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like he did, he had his black belt and he could go and he's also a machine, like just, he's a machine. And so I knew he could do, you know, he wanted to do 20 hour fast and 18 hour fast. And I'm like, well, it's a little excessive. You could do, you know, like you could do 16 and you're probably going to be good, but he's just wanted, you know, it's like you said, it was like recognizing who are the people that like, it's okay to give them extra. Cause you know, it's going to feed the fire, not like make them feel worse. And uh, so for him, it was perfect, but I would say for most people, it's unnecessary. It's more difficult. It's unnecessary to achieve the result they want to achieve. It's more difficult from a behavioral perspective to not eat for a very long time and then sit down and eat a reasonable amount of food. Yes, yeah, um, I, I think it's a great point because I mean, two things that come to play. Number one is is willpower, right? Which we know is yeah. finite. You're kind of you're basically juicing out all your willpower throughout the day and then going, all right, well, I've only ate you know one small meal. Let's fucking go, you know, and then diving in. Yes, yes. And and number two is that most people when they're trying to make changes, usually have a struggle around maybe things like uh, portion sizes, you know, uh, what's what calorically, I mean, at this point in time, I've done so much of, it, I can look at a plate and be like, yeah, this is, you know, this, I don't plate, you know, kind of macro wise roundabout, whatever. Right. But most people might go like, shit, I'll have a little more of this peanut butter. Right. And you, and you eat a thousand calories in peanut butter like that. And then all of a sudden that dinner is like, well, that went over. <laughs> But yep. mentally you might be like, yeah, but I was hungry most of the day. I just had one meal. I'm good. And then they come see you and they go like, Mike, 
I'm doing intermittent fasting. I don't know what the hell is going on. My hormones are out of whack because I'm putting on weight. And it's like, yeah, no, nah, probably not. Um, that, that, but this, this is, I, I love that you bring it up because it's a real world example of what actually happens, you know, when you coach a lot of people and you go, okay, if you're a little more advanced or, or what I've found too for people to do IF is some people that are very A-type and actually mm -hmm. like part of the challenge of it. Um, of, you know, it's, it's like there's, there's a fulfillment behind like, hey, I'm doing this and like, I can handle this. I'm perfectly fine. Um, but I think that that's further down like the competence of, of you know, nutrition skills for sure. Yes, no, definitely. You know, I think that it's, to your point of what you're just saying, it's easier to justify to yourself. Like if you haven't eaten, like it's two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, you're gonna eat your first meal, right? All of a sudden it's very easy to be like, well, I'm just, it's gonna be a little bit bigger, right? Or you eat that meal, then five o'clock comes around and you end up having a snack, right? Which is like peanut butter, like that turns into a quarter cup. And then you're having dinner. And then you're in a place where like, well, you basically just ate three meals, right? Like, but you yep. ate them in this state where you were like more hungry and aren't fully grasping what you're consuming. And so, yeah, I think it just, it requires much more attention, like, and um, willpower, I think you're right, for lack of a better term, than most people uh, will attribute to it. What, what do you find, like, um, a little bit of insight around, like, for instance, most of the people that you've worked with when it comes to tracking, you know, and whether, and like I said, when I say there's a, a lot of ways to track, I mean, from pictures to journal, to my fitness pals, to, you know, to just the macro, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. But on that side, I think, because this tends to be a conversation that I, um, hear from you know a lot of people obviously on social media you got to mm -hmm. do it do it there's no way to you know and but what have you found from a science standpoint like just research standpoint but also just personally you know coaching for as much as you have what have you found is kind of like the the scale do both work is one a little bit better like what would you recommend so i recommend it in a stepwise fashion because i think it works you know, you're kind of like, what works better, what not, if you're to say, you know, like, portion, photo, food, journal kind of style, or tracking calories, macronutrients, that kind of style. You know, it's, they, like, they both work. One gives you a much higher level of detail, right? And, you know, if we're still working on broad strokes, then getting that level of detail, I don't find to be necessary for the time spent. Like, I would much rather have you spend the mental effort, you know, on something else related to your health than logging your meals. Um, you know, so I generally start people out, I, I kind of call it the stages of nutrition. And I start people out much more on a portion food type visual approach to their nutrition, right? Because if you go from, I'm not thinking about anything I'm eating, it's just like whatever's on Grubhub or whatever's in my fridge, there's no need to say, let's weigh and measure. Like the, you know, the, this, the detail that you're capturing here is so far away from what's over here. If you were to just fix a couple meals, you'd be good to go, um, you know, just conceptually. But what I also like to do is I'll give people, and, and so in my, uh, in my book, The Metashred Diet, all the meals in that, all the recipes are very tightly controlled from a macronutrient standpoint in like large and small portions. And that's reflective of kind of an approach I like to take with clients. Well, I'll find out like, what are their favorite things or what are the things that they like to eat? And we'll come up with like the ideal version 
of that from a portion standpoint. And that's a little more, it's usually I'll do that. So it's like a kind of a time intensive thing, but it's like, here are the seven meals that you like and here are the ideal versions of those meals. And then people put those into their life, right? Which are really controlled without them having to think about it being controlled. You know, it's like, I like to have a smoothie. Well, just make your smoothie this way, but the macros are controlled. Yeah. And so we get some control without a lot of effort. And then they work on, you know, my six pillars of nutrition or the visuals of portions and food types otherwise and that gets most people like really close to where they want to go oh a lot of good points i wanted to touch on but but I, i'm i'm a big fan of that as well um i like to and I, I don't even know where i heard this i think maybe i was talking to nate about it like a three called three two one so it's like either one one meal for breakfast two for lunch three for dinner but then you know so you can switch it up enough to have mm -hmm. like the same thing all the time i'm pretty yep. good at eating the same thing all the time but but to, to have a couple of options that you can switch up, but you already know what they are. So it's not, you don't have to like really think it through. Uh, and it's foods that you like, right? Yep. And that, that's, you know, I would say works pretty damn well. Uh, on the second part of it is uh, I, I wanted to dig into, because I still wanted to touch, touch on those, what, the, your six principles of nutrition uh, to go over them a little bit. And then we can kind of maybe dig into each, each and one of those. I got a lot of questions. Yeah buddy. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're, you're dropping knowledge. So six pillars of nutrition are um, eat multiple meals per day, eat protein at every meal, eat fruits and vegetables at every meal, um, eat uh, or drink water and cut out calorie containing beverages, um, and save carbohydrates for after workouts. Okay. Right. So, and I would say that a lot of these have evolved over time, like from a nuanced perspective, but they kind of at a core level have always been the same, mm -hmm. you know? So for example, like the multiple meals per day, like when I first came up with the six pillars of nutrition back in 2005, right? This was more of like a five to six meals per day yeah. viewpoint, right? And now it would be more what I call three squares plus right? So it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then the plus is either a snack or a post-workout shake. And it's still this concept of, you know, we're eating these multiple meals consistently, but it's not four to six, it's more three and a little something else. So there has been some evolution to it. Um, you know, I think from a carbohydrate perspective, like, you know, the, the six, one of the pillars, it has always been to eat starch and grain-based carbohydrates in the morning or after exercise. And that, shifts depending on the individual you yeah. know i find that um if someone has kind of more weight to lose and they're wanting to get more aggressive then we stick just till after exercise because cutting them out in the morning just gives us a greater opportunity to eat more um fruits and vegetables that have less calories and more volume but if you know we're going at a little bit slower pace a more kind of lifestyle to the nutrition or they're exercising a lot burning a ton of calories we always keep it in the morning. You know, there's some interesting, what's cool is like, there's some really interesting circadian based nutrition that I didn't really appreciate back in 2005, 2006, that I think are, is super important. And so I would generally, if, I, if possible, we front load the carbs earlier in the day as well. Really? So that you'd prefer, it's funny because um, the stuff, I actually do prefer my carbs in the evening. And I think part of that mentality is just because, you know, I'm, I'm a go, 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 bigger meal in the evening you know, eat the carbs, look forward to them, that type of spiel. Um, mm -hmm. 
But on on that aspect, we talk a little bit more about the like having, for instance, more st carb starches in the morning, uh, as far as how it helps with circadian rhythms, sleep possibly. So, and this is, I would consider this like, this is like nutrition fine tuning. So, you know, this isn't something, because to your point, most people like to eat a larger meal at the end of the day, yeah. because it's satisfying, it's relaxing. You know, there's like this parasympathetic with your digestion system, serotonin release from the carbs, all those things. But from a, like a circadian based rhythm perspective, kind of the cycle that the sun goes through, you're, you have a greater insulin sensitivity earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. And so your carbohydrates and your calories are just better used and processed earlier in the day. Like they ran this wild study where they had people eat either 2000 calories first thing in the morning or 2000 calories at night. So same amount of calories, just different times a day. The group that ate their calories first thing in the morning lost more weight than the group that ate the 2000 calories late at night. Um, yeah. One of the other things is that ghrelin, which is the primary hormone that stimulates hunger. So you have a lot of hormones uh, that your body will release to promote satiety and fullness, but you only have one that actually stimulates hunger and that's ghrelin. And ghrelin actually sensitizes your brain to melatonin. So ghrelin being the hunger hormone. So if you're eating a smaller meal later in the day, right? Or if you're eating further away from when you sleep, ghrelin is gonna increase. And that ghrelin actually goes and it sensitizes your brain to melatonin, which is like the neuropeptide slash hormone that gets released to kickstart, you know, that natural process of sleep. So if eating a smaller meal, uh, your smaller meal later in the day kind of supports that process and sleep a little bit more. Um, so yeah, but I would say it's me personally, I prefer to eat a much larger meal um, at night. So it's a struggle for me to eat smaller meals at night, but Sure. If we I mean, were to talk perfect world, that would be what you would do metabolically. Because the thing is, I think it's once again, right? If it can't be sustainable, then what, what's the point? But yeah. but I, I do. But here's here's why I asked it though too, because you know I think it's important for people to hear like, oh, that's cool too. And maybe there are some people that like I do. Here's the thing: I'm a breakfast guy, brunch guy, right? I could probably mm -hmm. eat most massive meals you've seen. Like I mean, it's just ridiculous. And to, for somebody to go like, oh yeah, I kind of like that. And maybe, you know, they go, cool, like I'll do a bigger meal in the morning and then do, that's fine, right? Because there's so much, um, I don't know, there's so, so much figure, finger pointing around when people do things and go like, no, listen, it's better to do it this way. It's better to do that way. But there's actually benefits to everything. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if we stick within a principle, you know, kind of world and, and go like, hey, can I stick to this, right? Because if you can't stick to it, then everything goes out the window. Well, I think socially, you know, well, it's one of the things I think is funny about intermittent fasting and people that are vehement from a, you know, from a cult-like perspective with fasting that promote it's, you know, fasting all day, then you eat at night and then, you know, that's how you do it. Whereas like if we were re and talk about like promote those health benefits, like if we were really going on like the science and health, you would eat a large breakfast and then fast all day. But like nobody wants to do that. That's like... <laughs> That's, like, that's really no fun. <laughs> like, hold up. Uh, and, but there's, you know, there's a component that's really, really big. I, it's the thing that I think about all the time. And it, I, I don't think it has talked uh, enough uh, about enough. But like, the, to me, like being European, that food is such a social connector, right? Mm -hmm. That I can't imagine, like, you know, to, to just eat food, to eat food as fuel. You know, people are like, just eat food as fuel. But the best times in my life that I can imagine, I was just in Miami, we we're running our mastermind, 
you know, me and uh, Jay Ferrugia and Krebs, and, you know, we're going to dinner every night, you know, and, the, you know, new restaurant, great food, this, that, the other. And it's such a huge part of, uh, I would say, fulfillment and happiness. And, you know, mm-hmm. but, and to, to me, it was, it would be so difficult to go, okay, I got to, you know, take this out of my life or, hey, now I'm going to this restaurant and I'm going to, you know, just eat out of my Tupperware or just completely constrict myself. And I feel it's not talked about enough because I, I mean, I forgot which book I was just reading last that talks about, you know, as far as health goes, uh, that people that had community and friendships and a lot of social connection uh, were healthier and food wasn't even that big of a factor, you know, and it was uh, now, of course, we both know that's the, that there's a lot of, you know, that probably guided them to eat a certain way and move mm-hmm. and so forth. But point being is how important things like that are, or, you know, I, I just uh, got done reading um, Dr. Vidic Murthy's Murphy, book together, you know, it's about loneliness, how it, that's one of the biggest factors in, you know, predicting mortality, uh, mm-hmm. like bigger, you know, it's, it's like, if you're lonely, it's more dangerous essentially than smoking cigarettes, 17 cigarettes a day, obesity, all these different things. And, and I, I feel it's important to help people kind of connect, you know, quality food with social gatherings and allowing them to kind of, you know, veer off per se and, and, and teaching them that stuff. And I, sometimes when we talk about nutrition, it's very like, okay, you know, but, yeah. but it's like, what about hanging out with my friends and being able to <laughs> scale and teaching the skills to be able to do that, you know, and yeah. what, I guess it's just like, what are some of your thoughts about that? Cause I'm sure, you know, when you, you coach people that the social aspect of, all right, look, you know, Saturdays I meet with my friends and we go to a restaurant or, you know, Friday I go to movies and eat popcorn. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. I have to stop doing that. What are the conversations around that? So some of my, I think you're making really good points here. And I would say my, one of my kind of core principles with clients too is like, I'm very anti-food guilt. Like I always, I'm like, look, I don't have time for food guilt because I, like you, firmly believe that like food, sharing meals, you know, for me, the process of like cooking the meal is such, it's such like a special thing. And it's such a core part of like a healthy culture, friendship, family, that if we sterilize it, it's just, it's definitely doing the person a disservice, not a, not a service with respects to their health. Um, I always work with nutrition to take away and take away, I say that in a nice way, but like to take away things that they don't, to optimize things they don't care about and leave alone things that they really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it's like a big joke that like when I would sit in, when I was working at Peak, like people would sit down, they'd be like, all right, tell me like all the coffee and red wine I can't drink now, right? <laughs> and my whole thing was like, no, like I, you drink your coffee however you want it and drink red wine how you want to within reason, right? As long as possible. Like let's tweak all these other variables that you could care less about and like improve those like because you could care less about lunch because you're at work so let's just make lunch the same thing right and then when you get home you still enjoy that glass of wine right if it's a bottle of wine things start to get a little tricky right but with you know within reason and so that's kind of one of my other guiding principles is let's tweak and optimize the things that people don't care about and kind of standardize those things so they can keep the things that they like um, you know, like for me personally, it's like Friday nights, we always make pizza with the kids. Like I have four kids. And so we make pizzas at home. 
my wife and I will have, you know, like a cheese platter and we'll drink some wine. And like, I don't, like, I just, I don't want to give that up. And I don't, I don't see a good reason why I should, because I would much rather just literally eat the same breakfast every day, eat the same snack every single day and know that if that is 800 calories, that's fine because I make sure the breakfast and lunch on Fridays is a little less. And so it's kind of finding those things. But when you move out to like a, and I will say as a parent, that's like my biggest fear is to like screw my kids up for food. Like that is the one thing I don't want to do because it like I've had enough clients where it's like they're grown adults and they're kind of tortured by all these like fake rules about how to eat, how not to eat, what's good, what's bad. And it's like a terrible way to go through life. Um, but from a, from a social perspective, what I try to do is help clients appreciate that there are a lot of factors that are happening in the background that they're not even considering that are driving their food decisions. And if you're someone that eats out infrequently, right, then it's okay to kind of enjoy yourself. But if you're someone who eats out five nights a week, it can't, it's not a treat eating out. Like that's part of your life. And so you need to then have strategies to help control that, that are, you know, not, I'm bringing the Tupperware, you know, but like, what are the other strategies? Like making sure you're having a salad or something before you go, or making sure that you, you know, know what's offered at that restaurant and can you make those choices that you want to make? Or do you even feel comfortable voicing yourself to the server? Like, I'd like it this way, you know, because sometimes it sounds obnoxious when you want it, when you order a meal exactly how you want. But, um, you know, for people who eat out a lot, recognizing that eating out is not a treat if you eat out six nights a week. It's just part of your life. That's the, that becomes the norm. <laughs> that, exactly. That's right, the norm. Right. Whereas, whereas in your mind, and this has happened a lot, you know, because like when I was younger, you know, people just didn't eat out as much, you know, so if you did eat out, it was a treat. But if you're eating out five nights a week, you can't have dessert five nights a week. Like it's not a, that's just how you eat dinner. Um, and so being aware of that and, and so trying to control, create guidelines and guardrails around those kinds of eating experiences and knowing things like what other people are ordering, what's going to be on the table, what the place smells like, you know, like there are all these other factors that are going to come into play that you might not pay attention to unless you are consciously bringing them up and knowing these are going to impact my food decisions. Yeah, for sure. Because that, I mean, there was a, I can't remember where, where I read this, but, you know, it's just showing like the studies of if, you know, in your fat, like if your friends that you spend the most time with are, are obese or your families will be, you know, the, the, the likelihood of you, you know, you being obese too. And, and I bring this up because environment is such an important thing. And if I go to, you know, I don't know, for me, like I'm, once again, I'm European, you know, bread is like, bread comes with everything. Like, fuck it. If you go to eat sushi, they bring bread with it. You know, like, <laughs> what this doesn't even make sense <laughs> bread everywhere but you know when you go to slovenia i mean it, it's bread everywhere but people are i would say uh definitely like healthier from a standpoint of weight and stuff like that right because there's portion control and slower eating and all these other things but i, I bring it up because you know the influence of the people around you and the environment so it's like hey i go with my friends that eat xyz and we go to a place where i smell bread baking you know and it brings up childhood memories. I'm like, bring two baguettes, you know, and the butter, mm -hmm. like, you know, double the butter. You know, so, but you have to have that awareness to, to then go, because, you know, we're bringing up, it's like this kind of 
tippy toe, right? Like eating with friends and connecting and enjoying yourself, important. Uh, going, okay, am I doing a lot of this? And what, you know, what are the friends eating? And like, where is this taking me? You, you have to balance that stuff out. And it's, it's important to have a conversation around it because it just isn't black and white. It just isn't like this thing where you're like, oh, do this, don't do that. Oh, tell your friends you're not going to eat out with them. Oh, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot more of a, a journey and a process and, and everything else, you know? And um, so I, that, that's why I kind of wanted to touch on that and, and get your viewpoints. And I think they're great. Uh, like right now, if you hear in the background, like there's a train that comes from Boeing, like once a day. The red train? Oh, it's about, it's about to get, it's about to get loud, but it's kind of cool. Uh, it's it's kind of cool. So it, don't, let, don't let it freak you out. You know, I think one of the things, your point about environment is really good because you're, we get comfortable, we get comfortable in the environments that we're in. And generally, you know, when we seek out nutrition, physical activity, like those changes in our life, we're looking to make a change. And it's important to find environments that by default support those changes that you're trying to make. You know, if you go out to eat and you order whatever you're ordering, right? Uh, something that's healthy and good for you. And people are like, oh, being the healthy one, right? Like, it's so hard. Like, it's so, like, eating right and exercising is hard enough. Like, you don't need the people around you to make it more difficult. And, yeah, you know, and so it's like, um, that to me is really important and it's really difficult for people because this is like having conversations with people who are you know important to you loved ones in your life and i'm not saying you need to get rid of those people but you need to find you need to have conversations with them about what you're trying to do and you also need to find people who by default are interested in those healthy behaviors as well who like look forward to going hiking or you know like let's go find the great salad place and you know, one of the other things that um, uh, Seth Godin, who I love, has uh, on his podcast, he talked about once, it was a while ago, it was about convenience. And it was all about the convenience of sushi and pizza. And he was kind of like talking about these, how these two foods that were phenomenal have just somehow become extremely convenient and watered down. Mm. And when we talk about this food enjoyment and nutrition and kind of engaging in, in, in these other untangibles of food, I always, I always rail against convenience. You know, like if you want, if you enjoy pizza, because that's something that so many clients like, well, I love pizza. I'm like, that's fine. Like, get, let, let's find some really good pizza. Like, let's not go with the $4.99 large pizza that's ready to pick up whenever you want it. You know, like these convenient options are, you know, it's, they're not good for you, but they're also not really fulfilling. They're just kind of like this calorie bomb. And so if we can translate some of the things that we like doing in these non-convenient ways and, and, and really actually enjoy it. You know, like bread, like there's like really good bread, right? And then there's just like bread. Like if you're gonna eat bread, you might as well do the one that's really good, the one you gotta drive across town to get because you know, like they hand knead the whole thing. And so just trying to reframe those kinds of eating experiences away from this like good, bad, can have, can't have to actually doing something worth enjoying. And, and worth experiencing is, a, is also a big mental shift with people. That's, that's a great point. It, it actually um, kind of mirrors something that I, I bring up in business, you know, because everything in this world has started becoming like, be more efficient, right? And I tell like, when it comes to business, I'm like, uh, no, in some areas you gotta be inefficient. Like, you know what's inefficient? 
when I write a handwritten like thank you card to every person that signs up for a trial and put like, and it, you know, sometimes I'm like writing a couple, like an hour and a half of thank you cards, right? That's inefficient mm -hmm. because I could press a button and a other company sends it out and whatever, right? But people come up and go like, did you write that? I was like, yeah. And you're like, oh my God, thanks so much. Like, wow. And you put something personal in there. It's inefficient, but it connects, you know? And it's the same thing with, with food. You know, you, you could go grab some food or you could cook some food for your friends. Get which one's better, which one's more efficient. Well, grabbing food is more efficient, yeah. but people won't appreciate it as much. You'll probably eat more calories. You know, you'll enjoy the process less. You'll be less fulfilled by it. And so I think that kind of like what you talked about optimizing, what doesn't matter as much, you know, as far as like, okay, this, this doesn't matter as much, but keep these things that matter. I think it's the same thing here is like, make some things efficient, you know, maybe have a you know, meal company that brings you some food that you like, milk company that you like, because it's like, it's efficient, you don't have to think about it, you enjoy it. But then, you know, in another area, like, hey, you like make pizza, man, go to the best place where they make, you know, Napolitano pizza from the best bread and the, mm -hmm. the Amadoros from straight from like, you know, I don't know, the Amalfi Coast or whatever, you know, and, and it's like, guess what, it'll be healthier, you'll love it more, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll sit down for a longer period of time and talk with people and so, so on and so forth, because the efficiency and convenience, what it does is it makes you, makes you eat fast. The inefficiency, you're usually like spending time doing it. I mean, that's what, you know, in Slovenia, we do lunch, it's an hour and a half, mm -hmm. you know, the phone, you're not watching TV, you're, you know, you're, you're talking, they bring the food out slow, you know, by the time you eat stuff, you're like, oh, I'm full, you know, you're not wallowing it down. And so, I, you know, I think these are all great examples of uh, just honestly, like some retrospect of life, right? Like, mm -hmm. what matters to me? What do I really enjoy? And just that, I think, helps um, then zero in on the principles. But like, you got to kind of first go 10,000 foot view and go like, hey, listen, what, what are my values and what matters to me? And, and then taking the strategic route, you know? Um, yeah. And see, this is, this is why this is why I knew we got to go down these rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's like I think the dichotomy you just pointed out about how do we need to optimize and make things efficient in some aspects, and then in others, like it's better to go for the route that's not convenient. You know, like lunch at work, having it be efficient and convenient is probably really important. Yeah. Because there are so many other factors coming into play. Like if you don't have the convenient option, you're going to pick a bad option. But when you're talking about, you know, dinner out or that dinner experience with your friends, it's not about getting it done as fast as possible. It's about how can you create the best experience. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's that's dead on. What a great point. I, I um, you know what just popped up to me? I know, like, I think it was when you were here for uh, for Joel's event. You kind of had on a presentation. You, you had like these uh, new research that you found that's like relevant that. Uh, most people should pay attention to because you know there's there's a lot of research and, and some of it is kind of like that minutiae you're like you know when you write for teenation it's like listen if you microdose this exactly 15 minutes after you do a leg workout holy mm -hmm. shit like your testosterone by 4.7 percent um not those ones but like stuff that you know maybe since the last time that i seen you know, when you did that, that presentation is there stuff that you've researched that you think is relevant to like Hey, this is really cool. We found some stuff um, that you actually use, whether it's in coaching or you bring it out because it's important enough for people to know. I focus, um, I think some key pieces that are relevant now are oftentimes the intangibles around um, nutrition. So like the supporting behaviors, 
like sleep. I think sleep is really becoming a treatment for obesity, right? Mm. Which is crazy to think about that, right? But sleep, lack of sleep, it, it really messes with you metabolically. And it actually also increases hunger and your likelihood to eat sugary foods. And so one of the things that I did a talk for, um, it was just like a wellness talk for a, a local, it's actually, they were a diabetes company, they're diabetes sales reps. And we were talking about sleep and optimizing sleep to help optimize their performance. But optimizing your sleep also really optimizes your nutrition because it allows your body to use your nutrition better and it allows you to make better nutrition decisions. Um, and so one of the things that I think everybody should do, because I'll oftentimes talk with clients about sleep and they'll either be like, oh, I'm a great sleeper or oh, I'm a terrible sleeper. Taking the time to quantify your sleep, I think is important. And this is almost sometimes an exercise I'll have with clients is if they take a, a three-day or seven-day food log, right? I'm not going to have them record everything they eat forever, but we do it for a couple of days or a week so that we have an understanding of what's our baseline. Yeah. And, and there's so many like digital technologies that can quantify your sleep without you paying attention, you know, that you could do that excuse me, or you could just do pen and paper old school, but really understanding like where you are from a, what time do I go to bed? What time do I fall asleep? What time do I wake up on a consistent basis is really important because it'll highlight the fact that you really need to pay attention or make an effort to get in bed 30, 40 minutes earlier, or you're going to have to sleep in, right? Or sleep in a little bit later, which means some other sacrifices, but it, it makes such an important difference. Um, you know, even from there was a study at Stanford showing that when they gave basketball players increased their sleep, that it improved their free throw percentage and their three point shooting percentage. Wow. And so, you know, it's, it's this thing that's supportive of nutrition that I think is also very, very important. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's sleep has been, um, and I've, you know, I don't know if I ever mentioned to you, but like, you know, sleep definitely shifting that changed my life. And I, I say this like very, um, you know, people say this changed my life, but it, but it really did. I, I mean, I went for almost a decade more on like the workaholic crazy side, you know, where I'd be mm -hmm. sleeping three, four hours a night. Um, not because I couldn't sleep. I was just, you know, what I knew was like, hey, I'll work everybody. Um, but then yeah. I hit a wall. This is like probably like four years ago now, maybe even more. Um, I hit a wall, man. Like, I mean, it was it was just like my, I was fried, you know, it, completely. So and I, I did blood work through Wellness FX. And I mean, my hormones were shot. My blood work was just like, hold, you know, and I, I got on the phone with a doctor and I was like, I kind of know what this means, but like, hey, let's, let's dive into it. And, and he, he kind of knew me. So he was like, I said, look, he, I've watched your videos and stuff. He's like, I don't even know how you're able to train. I don't even know how you're able to live. It's actually a miracle. Um, and I spent the next year after that, you know, getting my sleep to, to six and seven and and now I, I, you know, I, I still work a lot, but like I sleep seven hours a night, eight hours a night. And in that year, I mean, even just the, when we looked at the test numbers, how much they went up, how much better I felt like I was less grumpy. Uh, I was better uh, communicating, you know, short term memory got improved. I didn't, I trained less. I got leaner. I trained mm -hmm. less, I more muscle. I mean, it was, it was just this cascade of things without really changing anything else around it. Right. Uh, and that was to me, I, you know, I was like, this is so important and then i'm sure you've read you know why we sleep from matthew walker uh mm. but you know not maybe the most um i would say you don't fly through it let's just put it that way but i mean you read that book and it's pretty much 
you know, if in one sentence, if you could, you know, kind of summarize that book, it'd be like, if you don't sleep, you're fucked. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. There's a ton of data and research and stories about how you're fucked. And, it, you know, but it really is that important. I, I think it's good that we bring it up. And I think it's great that, you know, we're talking nutrition and you make such a, um, an important point of like, look, like this will affect your nutrition maybe more than a whole bunch of strategies that we can kind of throw out there uh, in, in its work because it's just, it's a harder thing to kind of comprehend. And I had Nick Lambon, you know, he's a sleep coach and was a lot of great points to, to go like, look, these are all the things that are going to happen if you don't sleep, like it or not, you know, and then hopefully it pokes people enough to go like, okay, I, I got to, I got to, I got to do something about this. Maybe this is even more important than some of the other things that I was, I was thinking about. Um, and do you, do you, do you do that? Like, do you, for instance, analyze that with, with clients, at least on some level where you go like, okay, sleep is good. It's not good. Let's, let's address it. Yeah. Yeah. I always analyze, talk about work on sleep with clients just because it's such a permissive factor for nutrition. You know, it's such a, I mean, it's basically if they're not getting enough sleep, like the, there's another foot on the brake. And so we can do all these other things to try to go faster, but if we don't pull the foot off the brake, you know, we're only going to go so far. Um, I was very similar to you as you were explaining it, like super, you know, I left graduate school, just hard charging. Like we have a lot of young kids. I'm starting a business, like doing all this stuff. Like I don't need to sleep, sleeps for suckers. Right. And, and work, work, work. And I was just tired. I mean, I was just tired at the, at the end. And then it kind of, you know, I however I came, I don't know if there was, there was necessarily like a, a single point of epiphany, but at some point, the body of research that I was consuming was enough for me to be like, I think I need to be more serious about this and making that concerted effort to, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a morning, I like, like to get up in the morning. Like I like to be up at five, like and just nobody's up. I just like to be there doing stuff, taking care of myself. And so it was really a function of going to bed a lot earlier. And then it came to down to what it all, what it basically all comes down to, like, which one do you want more? You know, mm -hmm. like, do you want to be rested on point, have energy during the day? Or do you want to watch the next, next episode of like frontiersmen, the men who built America. Right. And <laughs> like, you know, but it was really like, I remember literally having that conversation with myself, like, like what is actually more important to you here? Like you stay up and watch this or, you know, you actually get to do all these other things that are truly important to you. And so, yeah, I've really doubled down on sleep. Um, and it's hard because I think if you're a hard charger, doing less seems counterintuitive. Then, you know, like you, you would see like, well, if I just worked an extra two hours, like I feel like that would be better. Um, but see, it's not always. That's the thing though, like that. I, once I realized and I had enough contrast, you know, cause for me, it was like doing it a certain way. That was my normal. You know, and, and it wasn't a good normal, but it was my normal. Mm -hmm. it, right? Until I didn't kind of hit the wall and I was like, oh, okay, this is not good. And then once I did start sleeping, I was like, holy shit. Like, I, can, I actually think better and I can get more done and I'm more productive, you know, in those hours that I push extra. But it's, but it's really not getting me any, any, any more out of it. But I had to have like this true visceral, you know, like understanding that, you know, hey, mm -hmm. I, I can work my ass off, but I need to get, like, this has to be there. My sleep has to be there. And now, I mean, I can still pull all nighters, but like my, my normal, my average is like, get my sleep in. Um, yeah. give it, I'll, you know, 
I, I woke up really early. I'm sure when I have kids, I'll be like you. Right now, I'm like more, I, I get up later. You're, you're, you're more of a brunch guy. I get it. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, actually, do you know what it was? God, I can't think of the, the book. Um, well, I know the book. I just can't think of the guy. He was actually, he wrote, he, he, he ghost wrote The Art of the Deal for Trump. Who is that guy? And then he ended up writing these business books on managing energy. And it's like on the tip of my tongue. I know who you're talking about, though. Um, hold on. I'm gonna, this is going to drive me crazy. I'm going to look it up. It was his second book um, that he wrote. It's amazing that I can, um, I know, <laughs> it's amazing that I know uh, Tony Schwartz. Yes. Whatever Tony Schwartz is, now I'm going to look it up. Um, was it, it was was his, the Power of Engagement? No, it was the book after The Power of Engagement. Uh, uh, the Way We're Working Isn't Working. Ah, so okay. it, it was after The Power of Full Engagement. And I remember I read that, The Way We're Working Isn't Working. And I was talking to my wife about it. And she, in like the nicest way, because my wife is amazing. She was like, you know, Mike, it's great to hear about this. But none of this is actually new information for you. It's more of a function of if you're going to do it or not. <laughs> I was like, it's like kicked in the guts, right? <laughs> because that is like the biggest thing of like, you know, as a coach, you're like, well, look, it's great to have all this information, but you got to help your client do it. And so she was basically like, look, like, you know, this is a great book that you just wrote and I'm happy that you're excited by it, but you've kind of <laughs> read this in different versions previously. Like, when are you going to do it? And, uh, and that was kind of like the big one for me. And, and I, to be honest, like that's like, the ongoing conversation I have personally is, am I putting into action the things that I know I should be putting into action? Yeah. And if not, why is that? Um, I think that that's for coaches. I think that's a great, you know, for everybody like to always have running. It's kept popping up, but it, but it is such a big thing, right? It, it, taking the time to reflect. Um, and I keep, like, there's a great book called uh, The Road Less Stupid by Keith J. Cunningham, one of the best business books out there. It's, I promise you, if you read it, sometimes I, I've read it twice, right? And I always yep. read it slowly and I have to stop because he annoys me because he's right. So, you know, so I'm like, God, fuck this guy, you know, and then I come and he's like, <laughs> back to it, and I'm like, so right. But honestly, one of the best business books I've ever read. And, you know, he talks about thinking time and how you know, most, you know, from the Warren Buffetts to the Bill Gates to just a lot of people have time to think. And I, I do thinking time weekly now, you know, some people spend a whole day, I take at least a couple hours and ask myself certain questions and then answer them, uh, you know, in a journal, in a book. It, but the thing is, is that's the type of stuff that we don't, you know, this whole premise is imagine if in your life, all the stupid decisions you made, the money you've lost, the mistakes, if you just thought about things more, you'd save hundreds of thousands of dollars or, you know, relationships, who knows what, and, you know, I'm reading it. And I'm like, Oh my God. Yep. This, you know, and it's so true. It's like, if you just step back, looked at stuff and went like, Hey, this, I'm, I'm doing this. It's not working. You know, I got, I got to do something else. Right. Uh, and it keeps going back when it comes to nutrition, the environments, the people you're around, uh, you know, what you consume, you know, here, right. As well. Like if, mm -hmm. if you're just able to make, think things through a little bit, make more reasonable, better decisions, uh, you know, that starts solving a lot of, a lot of things. Um, and you know what, I, what I, even though this is a question I would probably not ask, I don't know, most people, you, you I would, because it's, um, 
people ask me so much about supplements and stuff. And like, before I let you go, cause this has been great. And I could riff with you legit for a day straight. Um, it, it's what, what are the ones that you actually feel have a lot of benefit on average, right? I mean, obviously some people have, you know, certain nutritional deficiencies and they need to supplement with certain things more, but on average, like, uh, the, av- the average person, like, what would you say, Hey, here's a staple of supplements that works, that's beneficial. Um, and you know, you can package it and go like, almost everybody should be taking this. So I would say, um, <clears throat> and these might sound like you're like, well, I wouldn't think that would be on the list. Um, creatine, I think is one for everybody. Um, men, women, all ages. Uh, and I, I would ask you why. I mean, I think I, I know the answer, but I, I know that most people are like, oh, because like I'll just be able to get a couple more reps, but it's more than that, right? Yeah, so creatine, like the newer research with creatine is really showing potential improvements in cognitive health and supporting cognitive health, um, especially people who uh, follow a vegetarian diet or more of a plant-based diet. But so there's a cognitive benefit for creatine. Um, you know, creatine also, one of the biggest predictors of mortality as we get older is lean body mass because it's associated with falls and fractures. Yep. And creatine is like the simplest, one of the simplest ways to help maintain and support lean body mass. You know, it pulls more water, hydrates your muscles and, and helps, you know, with muscle growth, you know, in addition to just getting those extra reps. Um, there's all like, there's crazy research on creatine, like how it helps reduce muscle pain associated with statins. Like it's just, it's wild. Um, research supplement ever. And yes, and it is. Oh, totally. I mean, they've been doing like clinical trials. There is probably like 10 X the research on creatine and then there is ketchup and people have been putting ketchup on everything and not questioning it. Right. (laughs) So uh, the one thing I would say about creatine, which is really interesting, is you got to make sure creatine is only made in two places in the world. It's made in China and it's made in Germany. And the German creatine is the one from a purity standpoint that you want to put in your body. They're, the process in which they make it in Germany is patented and it's different. And the raw materials they have access to are different. And um, so Crea Pure is the company. And so then other companies, like you can't buy like Crea Pure doesn't sell it. It's an ingredient. It's like a branded ingredient that, w- that you can then buy. But Crea Pure creatine, or if it says it's German creatine monohydrate, that's really the one that you want to get. German um, engineering always, baby. Exactly. Um, right. Exactly. Um, um, so uh, creatine is that. Um, magnesium is another one. Yep. Um, uh, curcumin, which is an extract from turmeric, uh, anti-inflammatory. I might even put, if I had to pick, I might even put curcumin over fish oil, which like fish oil is like one of the reasons I got into nutrition, like the biochemistry of EPA and DHA, like those fatty acids, like enamored me, but uh, curcumin is just phenomenal. Um, So that would be another one. Uh, I developed a a memory supplement called Nutine, and it is this, um, it contains, um, a patented version of of lutein, which is an antioxidant that actually concentrates in your retina and your eyes and your brain, helps filter out blue light. Um, It promotes eye health um, and also promotes executive brain function, improvements in executive brain function while also filtering out blue light. I think that's really um, 
that paired with the spearmint extract that comes with it, which helps with focus, attention, and also neuron growth and repair. Um, so new team would also make my, you know, my, my, my top list. Um, I mean, shit is better. You created it. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Well, yes, I know. Um, you know, I think that for, you know, some simple things though, like vitamin D for most people, because we don't get out. I mean, I, I, I became more of a believer, even low dose vitamin D supplementation, you know, 2000 IUs a day when I would run all these, we would run these blood tests on clients that lived in California and their vitamin D levels were coming back so low because they're just, they're not outside. They're in the office, you know, like, yes, they live in California, but they don't spend enough, they don't spend enough time skin exposed uh, in the sun. And, you know, 2000 IUs is, you know, well below what's called the tolerable upper limit of, of supplementation. So I think that's a great baseline dose for people as well. What would you feel about, um, I mean, cause I've been pretty big on this as far as getting stuff in that I usually don't. I mean, obviously it depends on the quality of the product, but just, you know, greens drinks and stuff, you know, things like an athletic greens and obviously pre probiotics and prebiotics. I mean, I, I, I feel like, like there's a huge benefit of actually having it in food also, but just your thoughts around it, just because it's become so big. And I think sometimes it gets a little bit diluted, you know, whether it's yes. good or bad. So I think probiotics can be really good for people. I think one of the things that people need to appreciate is it just needs to be consistent. You know, mm -hmm. like your gut bacteria is turning over so frequently that taking a, you know, two probiotics, one, one couple days, one week, and then taking it again, three weeks later, is probably not going to help. But that if you are, if you're going to, you know, for me, I'm a regular yogurt eater and I, people generally underappreciate like the amount of probiotics in Greek yogurt. It's generally not advertised. Right. But you know, Greek yogurt, yogurt, yeah, like Greek, yeah. Greek yogurt is a, is a great source of probiotics. Um, I'm also a kefir drinker and, and stuff like that. So if you can get it, there are enough ways. I think yogurt's actually a great food for people to eat anyway. And so I think you could get probiotics that via that way, you know, the green supplements, I think are really interesting because they've gotten a lot better over time. You know, when they first came out, aside from tasting like grass clippings, like it was just this weird, it was a, like a weird mix of plants, right? And you're like, well, what's the benefit here? And now companies have really got a lot farther with kind of quantifying the kinds of antioxidants that are in these products. And they're not just greens products, but they're greens and reds. And so some of those anthocyanins, like those red antioxidants actually work as prebiotics for your gut bacteria. Um, you know, you can get now them, they contain like these flavonoid antioxidants, which are like the ones that are, you know, we would know from like dark chocolate that help with blood flow and, and to the brain and kind of oxygenation to the brain. Back when like I used to travel a lot, like eight months ago, it was a staple whenever I would travel just because fruit and vegetable intake was low when we were on the road, just as a result of the places that I was traveling and the oxidative stress from airports and that airline travel and all that was significantly higher that um, and I'm generally sleeping less, that it was kind of that nutritional, that extra nutritional antioxidant support that I would rely on. Man, that's, that's, that's a great answer. I mean, like this is, this is exactly why I asked it, right? Because I think that most people were probably expecting you to say some stuff that you didn't say and didn't expect you to say some things you did say. But, you know, but that's, but that's why it's important, you know, to go, okay, what, what are we missing? What, I mean, I, I live in Washington, so uh, you know, my vitamin D has got to be a little bit higher starting right now till about, <laughs> um, but, but, but it's, you know, it's true. And, and honestly, 
like for me it's a good reminder because it's like i study a lot of stuff but then i kind of veer off shit and like i used to do like in the morning hey i'm, I'm knocking out all this stuff right and i just don't do it right now you know and mm-hmm. just having a conversation we right now like oh shit man i gotta i gotta get on these order them you know and, and just take them consistently but i know that people that are listening to it it's probably a good good reminder of what you actually should get most likely um and what not to invest in because it's not that important um mm-hmm. man listen I, oh the other thing wait oh one one more thing the other thing about greens because this has been something else that i thought was really has been really interesting is that um like nitric oxide so i've been really this is just like a weird like a nitric oxide is something i've been really fascinated with late lately and nitric oxide is this um, compound that uh, helps promote blood vessel dilation and expansion. And it's really important for health. And in, in the supplement industry, a lot has been brought about nitric oxide, like nitric oxide supplements that would contain arginine, but like not enough arginine to actually make a difference. Citrulline malate, you know, is in like all pre-workouts basically for that. Um, you know, there are now beet concentrate products to give your body nitrates to help with blood flow. But the the uh, enzyme in your body that actually produces nitric oxide is called nitric oxide synthase. And when you hit 40, your like nitric oxide levels start to go down, partly because you don't produce as much of this enzyme. And what research shows is that eating a diet high in polyphenols, and polyphenols are just a kind of antioxidant, helps promote that production of that nitric oxide synthase. Um, And so there was, I think it was the PREDIMED study, which was this Mediterranean diet study. I, I think it was PREDIMED, but it might not be. Um, they showed that people who consumed the most olive oil, right, which extra virgin olive oil, which is a robust source of this, of polyphenols, had the highest level of nitric oxide synthase activity. And so these greens products, I think one thing that people have underappreciated is what they could potentially also be doing, because they're generally going to be rich in these polyphenols, is help support nitric oxide production on an ongoing basis. So if you take one of those, you know, like the beet products, like beet elite, which is great, but you take it and it works for several hours and then that's it. But if you're eating this high antioxidant diet or you're getting it through the greens products, um, you know, I think olive oil should be one of your primary oils anyway, extra virgin olive oil, that that's, it's promoting long-term health in this nitric oxide production in your body, which is important for athletic performance, but then also health. So that would be, that would be another benefit of greens products I think is underappreciated. This is why I love you. You know, <laughs> a geek like me, and then you'll be like, "Hold up!" <laughs> no, but that's, that's some of it is like this, right? Why, for instance, every every week I go and buy um, like kimchi or this this um, red cabbage that's fermented, mm-hmm. and man, like I just eat that like almost every night because I'm I'm very like, okay, these are the foods that are good for me. These are the and like which ones do I like? Okay, cool, these ones, and I just plug them in man like and it's i think it is a simple thing for people to go hey here's what's going to help me cool let me just efficiently you know that's probably one of the things you want to make yeah. efficient uh you know add them like you know I'm, I'm one of those like hey all this stuff is good for me boom it's going into the smoothie you know and i'm blending this out of everything right like then it's simple like it's I'm, I'm liking the taste of the smoothie i'm putting all this stuff in that's going to help me you know three two one let's go and then just make it a habit and but it's, it's good to you know bring it up like hey this why is going to help you here's where you can get it this is how you efficiently plug it into your day. And you just brought up your baseline level of health, especially because it compounds long-term. Um, mm-hmm. but, and that's too, you know, I, I know that you're always like researching what what works and what's good for us. And 
Um, and that's why I wanted to pull out because this is helpful for anybody that's listening that wants to improve their health, but also for coaches to go and, and help their clients implement it into their nutrition. Totally. Yeah, I, I know we're going to have to do obviously another one because this is, you know, uh, I'm, I'm coming up with a lot of other stuff to ask you, which is great. And I knew this would happen because uh, we always have great conversations. But man, like, thank you so much. This, this was honestly, this was one of the, the, the best nutrition conversations. I love it. Uh, well, thank but, you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, man. Like, tell, tell people where it's going to, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to yell it out here uh, because it's going to put some pressure on you. Uh, but Mike's working on a nutrition certification. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. buddy. But yes, but no, the pressure. That's right. You know, not saying that he'll make, get it done by January, which he said he will. But, um, <laughs> but we'll, obviously, when he comes out with that, I'll, I'll share all that stuff with you guys, all the info, because I already know it's going to be great. But, but tell, just tell people where you can find out more about you and uh, any like anything. Like I said, I, I know that you have some product that Newton, right? Did I say it right? Yeah, Newton. Newton. That that also where they can get that, um, and just anything else. Because like I said, I, I always bug bug you about more people got to know about you. Uh, you. You're so good at what you do, and you they could learn tons. So please share away, my friend. All right. Thank you. Um, so MikeRussell.com is kind of home base. And from there, I've written uh, like six books or so. So you can find out all the books there. I have some e-courses that you can, some free e-courses, uh, podcast that, that's also there that you can get. So that's just M-I-K-E-R-O-U-S-S-E-L-L.com. Uh, on Instagram, my handle is Mike Roussel as well. So find me there. That's probably the social channel where I'm the most active. Um, two products. So working on the certification, hoping for January sometime. I'm not going the convenient route. So I'm trying to write three textbooks as part of it. So it's a big, it's a big lift, but I think it's going to be really, it'll be well worth it. So we have that coming up. Um, the two products I developed, one's called Neuro Coffee and it's a, it's a functional coffee that helps increase uh, BDNF. So neuron growth repair and support cognition. You can check that out at getneurocoffee.com. And that's, you know, we were talking about making things convenient. It's a supplement that's built into your coffee. So um, that's, you know, getneurocoffee.com. And then Nutin is N-E-U-T-E-I-N. Um, you get it at Nutin.com or at Amazon. And that's one of my, uh, definitely one of my must-have supplements for cognitive support. And we, we know one thing, that there's one man that drinks more of the neuro coffee than anybody else, and that is Bill Hartman. Uh, that's right. And the best Bill Hartman, the best Bill Hartman thing is Bill Hartman never drank, like, 52 years in this earth that man never drank coffee and i was like dude i came up with this functional coffee and he's like i don't drink coffee i sent it to him i sent him the science and he's hooked he might drink more than i do he, he is and, and here's the thing for everybody hopefully you know bill hartman bill hartman is like from another planet, like genius level um so i i think maybe possibly the coffee's helping even more with that who knows uh get neuro coffee my friends and you too could be as smart as Bill Hartman or Microsoft. <laughs> uh, oh man. Hey, appreciate you, brother. Love you, man. This was, this was phenomenal. Uh, guys, as always, you already know, like spread the word. Like if, you know, if you love this, share it with your friends, with coaches, uh, leave a review on, on iTunes. Cause obviously it gets more people to hear it, helps people change. Uh, if you heard something that you know, you got to do, take action on it. Don't just wait around. That's one of the most important things on every episode is to keep moving forward, my friends. I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.